Oh, it's a little bit odd because we flipped things today. Um, and I hope that as I share uh, what we're looking at today, that that will make sense. Um, so we're in Exodus 15, and we're roughly halfway through our sort of the, our series on the book of Exodus. We're, we're at a transition point in the book. So I'm going to read the first bit out to you, and then I'm going to share what I feel God's saying. So Exodus 15 and verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the surging waters stood up like a wall, and the deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself from them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Eden will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them by the power of your arm. They will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord, and until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place the Lord you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. It's a very powerful song, isn't it? And... Um, I've called this, well, I haven't called it. In fact, the Jewish people call this the Song at the Sea. I think in your Bible, you'll see it's like the Song of Moses and Miriam. Um, but I quite like the phrase, the Song at the Sea. It kind of makes sense. It's the, the song they sang by the Red Sea. And Exodus is a, really a book of two halves. Up until now, the story has been about coming to know God, coming to discover Yahweh um, and, and all that he is. But at this point, at this transition point from chapter, chapter 16 on, onwards, the emphasis completely changes and it becomes about knowing God. So it wasn't just discovering God, but knowing him. And this is about a relationship. Exodus is a book, it's a story which moves us from slavery to freedom, as we have seen, because they were enslaved and now they're free. They've got through the Red Sea. And it takes us to a point of trust and commitment. The Israelites are free. Yes. 
They've left the oppressive rule of the Egyptians and they've been delivered from their enemies. They've come to know God and his character. They also know that God's favor is on them and that he leads them. You know, we learned that last week. He leads them and God has shown himself to be faithful. And now they're entering the next phase of their journey. So the first half concludes and the second half begins with this song. We don't quite know when this song was written, whether it was immediately after the parting of the Red Sea or whether it was written and so whether it was written sometime later. So we don't know if the future references in the song are prophetic or if actually they've already happened. It doesn't matter. It is a story of what God has done. The song provides a musical interlude, if you like, in the telling of the Exodus story. Uh, it's between the, the Exodus and the building of the temple. It's Israel's story. And singing, singing is what God's people do in response to what he has done. So in this case, it's a song of victory, which is sung to God and is about God. And in this song, the particular song, there is a focus on the fact that God has destroyed the Egyptian army. And this means two things. First of all, in verses 14 to 16, we discover this. The surrounding nations will have seen what God has done and they will fear God. That's the first thing we see in here. And the second thing it means is that in verse 17, God will bring his people to his safe dwelling. This isn't a song about the plagues or about Israel's release from slavery. We've got to assume those things. They kind of form the backdrop to the song. But this song is designed to praise God for the destruction of Israel's enemies. And it also provides us with a, a little gateway into what's going to happen in the rest of the book. The journey from the Red Sea to the foot of Mount Sinai. Egypt is now in the past and the desert wandering begins. But it is a song. And a song is poetic. And I love some of the descriptions in this song. I love the fact that, like in verse 8, it talks about God's nostrils. Um, By the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. It is, it's, it's, it's descriptive. And um, it's describing the east wind which parted the Red Sea. But it also reminds us, doesn't it, that God is also the God of the wind. For us today as Christians, it has echoes of what we know of what Jesus did when he stilled the storms or when he walked on water. But also for us, because we've got the whole of, whole of the scripture, it's got echoes back to Genesis, hasn't it? Where right at the beginning, God tamed the waters and, and made land and water. It shows us and reminds us that God has dominion over all things, including the weather and the seas. The song uses divine warrior imagery and reminds us that, um, and as a reminder to the Israelites that Egypt is the enemy. And they need to be reminded because they forget. Uh, they forget what happened. And when things get tough for them, they forget all of the stuff that they went through and all the enslavement that happened to them. And when, when, stuff, tough gets, when stuff gets tough, they want to go back. And, um, and this song also deals with what, they, what we call a polytheistic system of gods. So the Egyptians had lots and lots of gods. But in verse 11, we are told this. Who among the gods is like you? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working in wonders? We've got to remember that the culture that the, the, the 
Israelites have come out of was one of many gods. It formed their thinking. It was deeply entrenched in their minds. And they have to work through all of that. And actually, sometimes I don't think it's much different to the culture that we live in with all the many different gods that we find, from scrolling on our screens, which becomes a god, to materialism, which we can talk about, and all the other things that, that, that are culture that distract us from God. They're probably not even aware that they kind of forget that God is God. Um, so much so that God reminds them, like, in a few, few weeks we'll discover, we'll look at the Ten Commandments, and we'll discover that actually the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. God's defeat of Egypt is a defeat of the Egyptian gods. But God didn't just, the Egypt, didn't just defeat the Egyptian gods, that was it, full stop. He brought the Israelites out for purpose. You weren't saved just to be saved. You were saved for purpose. From verse 17, we see that God's brought his people out in order that he may be present with them on the mountain, in the movable tabernacle, and then in the temple. And towards the end of the song, we're reminded that God is eternal. And if we're to learn anything from the death of the Egyptians, we know this, that the Exodus story is more than about the Exodus. It's also about God's purposes for setting a chaotic and oppressive world straight. The Exodus is about God and who he is, and the focus is not what happens to the Israelites, but rather on God who will reign forever and ever and ever. And these events teach God's people to look beyond the here and now, and even their own circumstances. This song is about the victory of God. So I want to talk a little bit about our corporate worship. And I fully understand that corporate worship and even private worship is more than singing. Like, let's just make that the backdrop, that we know that, that it's more than singing. We know that we are led by the Holy Spirit. We know that he gives us gifts and we exercise those gifts during sung worship. But I do want to look at what we're singing and why we sing. As I've already said, singing is what God's people do in response to what he's done. Songs are a way of praising God for his saving acts. And this isn't the only song that's recorded in the Bible, is it? I mean, we've only got to look at the book of Psalms and we find another 150. And there are many songs all the way through scripture. And, and singing is not just an Old Testament activity, because actually we could jump into any part of the New Testament. If we went right to the end to Revelation, Revelation 5, you've got um, a picture of Jesus sitting on the throne and people singing praise to him, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Jesus is worthy. Singing to God is all the way through scripture. So what does this mean for us today? In Colossians 3, we're told to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts. And singing has a universal appeal, doesn't it? We sing when we're happy. We do. <laughs> we even sing when we're sad. You know, some of the most epic love songs in the world are about broken hearts at the end of the day. Singing changes our mood, doesn't it? And it can affect our emotions. And songs have a way of entering us and touching our emotions in quite a unique way. The capacity to sing and react to a song is part of our own unique human experience. But singing is also divine. It comes from God. And as we sing, we connect with God. And for me personally, 
It's my easiest way to step into God's presence. It really is. And I've shared before that, you know, I was 12 when I became a Christian Sikh family, wasn't allowed to go to church till I was 18, but I didn't know that mum would give in when I turned 18. But during those intervening years where I wasn't allowed to go to church, but I definitely knew that I was a Christian, I did several things. One of them, I had a little um, red New Testament. You know the ones that you get in school? I used to sneak read that and hide it under my mattress. That was one of the things that I did. Didn't know there was an Old Testament, because, you know, I just didn't know there was an Old Testament. Just thought that was the Bible. <laughs> and um, the other thing was I had friends at school that were Christians. This is really going to show my age. I used to have like a Sony Walkman, but not really a real Sony Walkman. It was a fake Sony Walkman. I had one of those and my friends at school would give me tapes and I would, tapes of Christian songs. And I would play them um, during like, you know, walking around between the corridors and whatever and at break time. Um, and do you know what? I'm, that's where I learned most of my theology in my growing up years, listening to Christian songs, learning those songs. And so I'm really grateful when I discover, like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm in awe of all songwriters, but when people set scripture to music because it helps me to learn and to understand something of God. And when I was allowed to go to church, I um, transferred those tapes into my car. And it just became this habit that when I got in my car, the tape would be playing. And so I would still be, you know, aware of the presence of God. It's just, it's just one, of those, it's one of my habits. It was a habit that I did. And, and I just carried on doing that. Except when I got to a uni, to my second year. During my second year, I led the Christian Union. And looking back, I was a little bit too young to lead the Christian Union, really, in reality. And um, towards the end of the year of me leading it, a number of things collided. One was that I became very conscious that I was out of my depth. Two, one of the students was having an affair with the minister of the church that we were all attending. Can I just be clear right now? Because I've shared this story before. That student was not me. <laughs> just, just need to say that because somebody thought it was me. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. So that happened. But also something else happened. We, as a Christian Union sort of organisation, UCCF, they have a, a sort of a conference every year. And I attended that conference towards the end of that year and um, very excited because they had this big name speaker, like a, just, just somebody that was really famous. I'm not going to mention his name. He was famous. He was very, very cool. And I was quite excited to be able to go and hear him speak at this conference. And, and he was great. Really enjoyed listening to him. And then he said in the middle of his, one of his talks, he completely took the mick out of Christians that listen to Christian music in their car. And he just totally, like, just was, he went on a little rant about it. And I'm sitting there listening and I'm going, oh, that's what I do. Oh, I'm not very cool. Like I was literally squirming and I, I desperately wanted to be cool. And um, so when I got to my car, I literally threw out all the tapes because I wanted to be cool. And I ended up being left with like a copy of Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms and <laughs> Tracy Chapman's Fast Car and a bit of a dodgy, re you know, a dodgy mixtape. But anyway, and... Um, so those three things all happened. And then as the year ended, I remember taking my box of Christian Union stuff, giving it to the next person who was leading and making a conscious decision that I didn't want to go back to church again. 
And I've told you that story at length because for the next two years, I basically floundered. And I was kind of like, I knew God existed, but I didn't want to do church. And it was only two years later when God in his kindness brings, you know, that's another story for another time. But I do wonder back, I do reflect back and I do wonder, had I carried on the practice of listening to Christian music in my car, would it have taken me so long to, to come back to know God? I, I really missed out. I feel like I missed out, although God is kind and he always restores everything. So I'm sharing that because I think worshipping God is key. Because it's not only a discipline, because we're instructed to do it, but actually it takes our mind off of ourselves and onto the one that we are called to give our attention to. It changes our perspective and it shows us God's perspective. One of the patterns that we see in the features of biblical songs is that there's a lack of focus on ourselves. And if there's any attention on the singer, it quickly changes and the true focus comes through. Praise to God. In scripture, we find songs that are full of thanksgiving and gratitude um, because God has shown himself to be mighty. Songs in the Old Testament are entirely focused upon God, which we would call theocentric, if you like, God-centric. But for us as Christians, ever since the first Easter Sunday morning, or Easter morning, I should say, we also, we also sing songs which are Christ-centric, which are all about Jesus. And of course, and since Jesus has sent the Comforter, we sing songs about the Holy Spirit too. And as I said already, I'm in awe of those that lead us and form worship bands every week. I am grateful for the, the men and women that stand up here and lead us faithfully. They practice, they consider their songs, they, they, they bring something to us. I am genuinely in awe. What I know about music is not worth knowing. And uh, so I'm always very grateful, even more so after COVID. But I also know that people grumble about the music. I also know that people sort of moan about the choice of song. We're all different. We all have different perspectives. It's going to be really hard to ever get us to agree on the one favourite song. Um, but actually, that's not what it's about. The challenge today is to get past that. And it's to ask more appropriate questions. It's asking questions like, is what I am singing giving praise to God? Is it thanking him? Is it worshipping him? Is it adoring Jesus? Is it showing a grateful heart for the work of the cross? Does it recognise the victory that Jesus has won? And not every song will hit those marks. And some of the songs we sing are more reflective. They are more like prayers. But if the song is all about me or I or we, I do sometimes question why we sing it. Obviously, as I said, some songs are more personal. But all of these songs need to be balanced in order for us to show who God really is. Please hear me, I am not being critical of our songs. We sing some amazing truth-filled songs, but I do want to bring the challenge to consider what we're bringing, that we bring praise to God and not ourselves. So I'm going to hand back over to the band in a moment. And I want us to sing to God with, with all that we can possibly give him to praise him and to adore him. We want to praise God for his universal rule, his power and his love and his faithfulness to his people. Singing worship songs is not about how we feel or our mood. It is a practice, it's a discipline. It's the mark of a growing disciple. Sometimes it feels sacrificial and other times it's easier, but it's always a choice. 
So can I invite us to stand as we come back, if you can, as we come back to worship, and I'm just going to pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for the gift of singing. I want to thank you that we can come and we can, we can worship you. I thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they can be brought to help to encourage one another. And so, Father, as we come to worship you now, would you help us to just completely be focused